0: Welcome to the Religion Unplugged podcast, and today on the show we're talking with Executive Editor Clemente Lisi. Clemente is not new to Religion Unplugged, he's a regular contributor, and if you follow the website at all, you have read his work over the years. But he was recently promoted to the Executive Editor position, and we are thrilled to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Clemente.
1: Great to be here.
0: For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. You're a native New Yorker, right?
1: Right. I was born and raised in New York, and I'm a graduate of the Columbia Journalism School in 1998. Um, I spent 15 years of my career at the New York Post. For those of you not aware of what that is, it's a very brash New York daily tabloid newspaper. And in my 15 years there from 1998 to 2012, I covered everything from 9 11 to all the major stories of, of that time, You know, both local and national and international. Um, as a reporter and then as an editor. Uh, then I took a, a sort of a detour and worked in public relations for about a, a year and a half. And then I got pulled back into to the journalism world. I got a job at ABC News working for their website in 2014. And that was a time, if, if you're aware in 2014, that was a time when newspapers and television networks and stations were trying to transition to digital to create digital content, create web content, which is new to both newspapers and television to transition to this modern world where people are getting their news on their tablets and their phones. So I worked there for a couple of years. I ended up at the New York Daily News, which was the, was and is the New York Post's main competitor in New York City. Uh, I grew up reading that newspaper, so it was kind of nice to spend some time there, work at that newspaper. Um, And then I spent the last six years working as a journalism professor at the King's College in New York. And then that took me to where I am today as the executive editor of Religion Unplugged. I should note that over the last four years, I was a contributor to Religion Unplugged, covering most of the Catholic Church. Um, and so you're right, my byline is not new to the website, but my role is new. And I've been in this role now for about three months.
0: Yeah, and you're, so many of your stories, I mean, you uh, coming out of the daily news reporting, I think it's really remarkable. I'm always impressed with how quickly... You can turn a story um, if it is breaking news or something quickly on the beat that you're covering, like the Catholic church. You also wrote a book, which I know we focused on in one of our media project meetups, which was really great conversation. We have those typically once a month with our members at the media project. And um, tell us a little bit about your book and just the writing of that and, and about soccer, football, as it's known in many parts of the world, but that had to be quite an adventure as well, writing a full manuscript.
1: Yeah, no, it was. And that was something that I mostly spent the pandemic working on. So I joked around with like many people that lots of people, you know, watch lots of Netflix during the pandemic, or they maybe they got a dog. I didn't do any of those things. I, I took on a book project, um, that took almost two years. Now I've been covering soccer, football for, you know, as a sports writer on the side a freelancer for many years so there was a lot there to take from and i got a publisher and they wanted a book uh leading up to the 2022 world cup which was a special tournament because it was taking place in the middle east for the first time in qatar it's taking place in november december which is not typical for the tournament usually it's a june july event um and it took yeah it took almost two years um it was a lot of work but, you know, I joke around that it is also the, the world's religion is, is football, is soccer, right? And it right. doesn't, you know, well, I mean, it does also create tribalism and all kinds of other uh, differences among people. But it, I, in my experience around the world, it does bring people together. And people who don't know each other, that are from different continents, will end up talking about the World Cup or soccer, football. And, and the, the book outlines the tournament. It's a history of the tournament from 1930 to the present and really talks about the major players, the major games, but also how technology helps the sport become global. The the help of, uh, for example, the help of uh, airline travel, the help of um, technology, television, radio, those things helped soccer expand. And and it also helps that the British colonized half the world and brought that game to lots of places too. So it it is what it is today. It's a global phenomenon. And the book captures that passion, I think. And it's funny when mm-hmm. I travel around the world. This is the one constant in my life is that this connection to other people is the fact that we can talk about the World Cup or Argentina or Italy or France or Brazil or whatever it is. So um, so it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. People asking me, like, oh, when's it what's your next book project? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know to think about that. It's it's for those of you who have ever written a book or tried to write a book or whatever, it's an immense project. I come from the daily journalism world where we turn things over daily or weekly, and we don't have the attention span to focus on one thing. (laughs) My advice to people is if you're going to write a book, it's got to be something you really love because you're going to be married to this topic for quite a while.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, congrats on that. I know we all really enjoyed being able to talk to you about that when it came out, but now you're sitting in the executive editor role here at Religion Unplugged. You've been um, in that role since August. And, Kind of tell us about the role, what it entails um, as you've moved into that position.
1: Yeah, so the executive editor's job is to oversee all aspects of the website. So uh, the daily news stories, the weekly stories, the long-term projects. We do a lot of news feature stories. But then there's also the video production that we produce, uh, Mini documentaries, videos. We do audio. We do podcasts. There's a lot of moving parts. We have uh, partner content, contributors, columnists. It's a lot of, it's like running the train stations, a lot of things happening simultaneously, in addition to the fact that there is the news cycle to deal with. Now, we don't cover everything. We don't, we're not the Associated Press or Reuters. We don't cover daily journalism. We try to do the best we can to sort of take a step back and give people, you know, a 180 view of something. You know, so we'll do, you know, so the recent conflicts in Israel and, and Gaza, you know, we not, we're not going to cover that story daily. We're going to cover that maybe with, Broad brush strokes to explain to people what's happening. We expect people to go elsewhere for that, to go to CNN, to go to Reuters. Uh, we're gonna do what we call slow journalism, not the fast stuff. You know, we wanna jump on stories, but we also want to give people context. We wanna look at these major stories through a religious prism, if we can. Um, and so that's what we do, that's what I do, and constantly making sure. That three people, three freelancers, are not working on the same story. You know things like that, logistical things. That I had lots of experience on working at other websites and other news organizations. But it is like being a conductor, making sure air traffic controller, if you will, making sure that everything is running smoothly. And it is the internet, so it's it's daily, it's it's all the time, it's it's nonstop. It's never it's never. You're always planning fresh content for the morning because people want to wake up and get. New stuff on the homepage, new stuff in their RSS feeds, new stories to, to share on social media. And so those things I have to make sure that we're, you know, that we're following AP style and we're doing all the right, you know, all the headlines are correct. I mean, it's it's a lot of work, but it's been my life's work. It's a passion of mine, journalism. And I, I really enjoy it.
0: And now looking at kind of this global beat, I mean, for most journalists, you are, even if you're a general assignment reporter, at least you have like an area or a scope, you live in a certain area or you cover a certain beat. Um, but this is obviously religion is our beat, but really the globe, people <laughs> to cover stories from around the globe, how do you kind of manage that? Where do you get your story ideas and how do you keep a pulse on what is happening from a global perspective?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, so we have about 30, 35 contributors around the world, freelancers who are constantly pitching stories, they're located in places like Uganda, Kenya, India, parts of Europe, Latin America, the United States. So we have people all over and it is their responsibility if you will to to you know, to be on top of of what they see as a potential religion story for us, right? So a lot of the stories come from sports or politics or culture, but they have a religion uh, association, and so I rely on those people to uh, to tell me what's happening around the world. I mean, I, I have my own diet of news that I get up every morning and I read the New York Times and the Washington Post. I read Associated Press and Reuters. I look at the Drudge Report. I look at Twitter. I want to see what's happening in the world, and sometimes I will reach out to those contributors and say, "Look, I think there's a story in your region or your country, or you're part of the in your continent, even." Maybe we can work on that. And I've been better about being more proactive, not waiting for them to come to me. But it's a conversation with writers all the time. Um, And that's how stories are born. Now, some things are short-term, because some things are happening this week or next week. Uh, Some things may be tied to a holiday, right? So we don't just cover one faith tradition. We cover, so the beat is the planet, right? No small task. And on top of that, we cover uh, Judaism and Christianity and Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism and uh, and many other religions, right? And spirituality and, and how that affects politics and culture, society, uh, the conversation that's happening. Unfortunately, in the mainstream press, a lot of places are not covering um, religion or they don't see the religion angle or history to a story. And so we fill that void that I think no other website really does in a, on a global scale. It's, it's a massive endeavor. Right. So i am constantly think of story ideas, constantly think of angles. Is there an angle for us? You know, sometimes there is not a religion angle to a story. And so we don't touch that story. Right. We wait. And maybe there never never will be a religion angle to a story. And then we don't cover that. Right. Uh, We know our audience. We know what we are, what we we do. And we don't want to be something that we're not. But at the same time, we want to be able to find things and angles that everyone else is ignoring. And so I know we're probably going to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, but that's a good example of something, for example, that we've we've been very cognizant of, of looking at it through a Islam versus Judaism lens and not so much uh, about politics or about real estate, about land, about colonization, all the topics that you see in the mainstream press.
0: Which is often a blind spot for reporters in the mainstream press, in fact, Um, A couple of our, our founder and a couple of our board members wrote a book several years ago called Blind Spot, talking about that. And I think you were saying, even listening to some of the mainstream coverage, the question of religion of the story going on right now in Israel comes up and people are kind of caught as deer in the headlights if they don't know how to answer the questions about what is the religious angle or how does that come into play Um, When you're looking at the story in Israel, kind of how do you cover that? What do you think is really important with this slower journalism, with a story like that? How do you um, kind of come at that? And also, what do you think have been some of the things that you've seen on the site that have received really good traffic as we've covered that story um, that people are interested in?
1: You know, that's a good question. So I think a lot of places like the BBC, the New York Times, all these massive global legacy newsrooms, have pretty much ignored the fact that this is a conflict between two two faith traditions, two ideologies. I mean, it is also, like I said, a story about land and a story about power and politics and uh, nationalism. Those things are all true. But you have to recognize that this is a conflict primarily between Israelis and Palestinians. But the Palestinians are a majority Muslim, if not all. And Israelis are a majority Jewish. And the fact that Israel exists is because of the Holocaust and that, that kind of history. So our pieces try to look at some of the history of like how we got here. You know, there was a, a piece that we published about how this conflict be, became a full blown war. And this has been simmering for the last few years, but really for decades, right? And it's about displacement and all that. And we try to delve into some of that history because we never assume people know, especially, you know, we're talking about American audiences or Western audiences, they might not be familiar with the history that goes back, not just 60, 70, or 80 years, I'm talking about 1,000 years or 1,500 years, right? We try to give that context in our explainers, in our coverage. We have a a contributor who lives in Jerusalem, uh, covers the Middle East for us, uh, Gil Zohar, and he's been very good from really pretty much the the second day of the conflict, of this renewed conflict about filing stories. He he wrote an essay about what, what this meant to everyday Jewish people in Israel and that did really well for us um, because it was a heartfelt essay about what was happening, but also through this first-person lens of being on the ground and taking the reader to where this person is, which I think is very powerful when you have people around the world. Um, since then, we've been trying to do more stories, explain the history of this conflict, um, what could happen next. You know, the first week was really about you know, this terrible thing that was perpetrated by Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, uh, it, you know, Islamo-fascist, really, um, where they've taken Islam, they perverted it, they've made it um, something that is not a religion of peace, and it turned into something that is, for them, a rally, pride, not different from Al-Qaeda or ISIS, right, which I have lots of experience with, having covered 9-11, being at the World Trade Center, and then covering the aftermath, and this sort of this terrorism threat coming back, right, this Muslim terrorism threat that I think for a long time people thought was dormant is now sort of on the front lines again. I mean, I walk around New York and there's police everywhere, not just in front of synagogues, but in front of police precincts and uh, arenas and stadiums. And it feels like 2001 again, you know, a little bit. Um, And so we try to get that through our coverage, but again, through the voices of Jewish people and Muslim people, and the first week, like I said, it was really all about, our coverage was really all about these heinous acts where 1,300 Israelis were killed in some cases. I mean, all, most of them all civilians killed in their homes. And you know, we know the stories that we've seen on social media, but we try to give context to what was happening. I think the, the, the aftermath of that is the potential humanitarian crisis that we'll see now in, in Gaza and among the, the Muslim population there. And that's going to be the next thing that we need to focus on. In addition to that, um, you know, hate crimes around the world in the West against Jews, also against Muslims, you know, very aware of that. And and we want to cover that as well. Um, I think the website strives to be objective, to cover both sides to a story, right? Which a lot of places have lost, have lost that that, that traditional journalistic urge that we still have. Um, So we we try to be fair, we try to be, um, you know, thorough, and I think people are, you know, if you look at the comments we get both publicly on our stories, but even privately to our emails, people are really happy and they're grateful that we're producing the kind of journalism, I think, that they think is comprehensive and doesn't pick a side. Now we have columnists, we have people that write analysis pieces, and that's fine. And that's, we label those appropriately. But in our news coverage, we aim to be fair and I don't think it's been that difficult for us. I know it's difficult for many people because they have to worry about their audience and subscribers and advertisers. And and we're a nonprofit news operation. We live through donations and through donors. And we don't need to worry about that. And I think in a lot of ways, the future of journalism is the nonprofit model because we don't have an allegiance to a brand or to a particular company that pays the bills, you know, an advertiser even, but to the truth. And I think that we've been able to do that in this conflict, especially when it's been very, as you know, uh, very divisive in the West, but around the world.
0: Yeah. And in the nonprofit news angle, we're, you know, Religion Unplugged is a member of the Institute for Nonprofit News, which is a nationwide network of independent nonprofit, nonpartisan news organizations. um, And people can support things like Religion unplug through that. And so that's at INN.org for anybody who wants to check that out. Also the website, I mean, and we've won numerous awards from editor and publisher, Religion News Association, other organizations. Um, I think people would be really surprised to know how, I don't want to say easy necessarily, but that you can find the religion story And so many different stories that are out there. So on the site, we have books and films that are covered, you know, um, profile pieces. Do you find that as you tackle this, there's really a lot more avenues where religion stories can be found if reporters are looking for it?
1: One of my first fears in taking this job full time and just in general is always my whole life. I've had this fear, which is, will there be enough content for us or for me to deal with? Would right. there be a month to keep things going fresh would there be because the audience wants uh, quantity sometimes and I have to say you know in, in the in the three months I've been doing this there is no I mean there's there's more than we can handle actually mm-hmm. uh, this is even before the conflict in Israel I mean even, even before then so yeah it's been very very busy and there's no shortage of vehicles and topics and questions and often they're guided by the calendar you know like Halloween is is coming. And so there's a lot of religion angles around Halloween around the world because of mm-hmm. films that are produced, what Halloween is, you know, and that's just an example. And now we're heading into Thanksgiving in, in the United States. At Christmas, right? I mean, so there's the calendar helps us. You know, we just came back from a bunch of Jewish holidays in September. So there is the calendar does guide our coverage, but then there's things that just happen spontaneously that we have no control of that. Yeah. So there's been definitely no shortage. And so if anyone who thinks, which, which tells you, tells you a lot, tells you the need for our website, right? Cause these are all angles that aren't being covered. Oftentimes just as a game, what I'll do on Sunday. I, I I get the New York times delivered at home on Sunday because I want to spend at least one day a week reading paper. And not right. just, I
0: love it. I love right? that. Not just,
1: not just the computer or my phone. And I can literally look at a one, right. And look at all the stories on a one and, and, say, oh, yeah, this is the religion angle here, religion angle here, religion And then turn pages. Mm-hmm. More often than not, there is a religion angle to that story. And often that's how we get story ideas. We say, look, this is a big story that's happening in Europe or in Latin America, but it's totally devoid. And The mainstream press is totally devoid of religion, but it, it's clear that it's in here. It's either buried in the story or not there at all. And then you realize, oh, it's there. And so that's where we come in often and decide, Let's do a story. Let's do an explainer. Let's do a feature story. Let's do an interview with somebody. Let's interview some experts. And yeah. And then we, we find an angle that that is super obvious to the people who are maybe are religious or maybe even the people in those countries, but because Western journalists are covering, let's say India or Africa, they don't see that they cover as a political conflict. That's what their editors care about. That's what they care about. And so that's where we come in and we find those angles and we report things that are super obvious, but sometimes the obvious stuff is is not in front of you. You have to sort of highlight it for people, especially in this world today where people are inundated with information on social media and other places, they might not see something. And so, um, you know, in that way, Village Unplugged really fills a void that the current English language media landscape isn't really isn't covering at all.
0: hmm. Well, it's an exciting time here at the organization, both for the Media Project and for Religion Unplugged. I know, um, you know, with the podcast, one thing that we're hoping to do with this podcast, and this is first one, I wanted to have you as the guest on our first kind of revamped one, because I think just hearing about your vision for the website and for coverage moving forward. But one thing I hope through the podcast is that we can people some behind the scenes perspectives of either what it took to put the piece together, really talking to some of our contributors all over the world, hearing about these stories and just going to even a deeper level in them through um, the podcast. Actually, it's really fitting too to have you on today. You and I were on the very first episode of the podcast back in 2018 at the, at the anniversary of 9-11. We were at the King's College, popped in the podcast studio, just kind of did it quickly. And it was, I think, such a great um, reflection. If there's anybody listening who has not heard that episode, go back to the very first one. And it's me interviewing Clemente about 9-11, about being there that day, about him covering it, his perspective as a native New Yorker, um, covering the news in his store, in his city as it was unfolding And you and I both used that podcast a lot, teaching students um, in the university level. And it was interesting because when we recorded it, you made the comment that there were a lot of students in our classrooms who weren't even alive then or who were born that year. So I think just the longevity of these stories and the importance of keeping keep telling them over time um, was really important. But obviously that day, I'm sure. And I know that podcast you've listened to quite a bit since then.
1: Many times. Yeah. Every yeah. anniversary, I listen to it. I, I, I let my students listen to it. I've shared it with people. And yeah, if this podcast is Religion Unplugged 2.0, then that's, you know, that that's, that's fine. But I, will, I I agree. Go back, if you're an Apple or wherever you get your podcast, go back that first one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the best ones. And um, it tells a really important story. And especially in the current climate that we're in now with Happening in the Middle East, I feel like that podcast resonates even more. And you're right; it's like a time capsule, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is the power I think of audio journalism, and sometimes print or digital, you know, in terms of you know words doesn't capture. Is you know, good writing is good writing, and, and I'll, I'll stand by that. But sometimes you need the audio, you need the first person voices, and mm-hmm. I think the podcast can this podcast can do that going forward. But it's done that in the past too, and right. so. Yeah for people who listen regularly you know what I'm talking about for people who dip in and out I agree with Melissa I think the time is to put this as one of your favorites bookmark it
0: and read <laughs>
1: yeah. in 10 days I think we're going to do more of this kind of stuff you know tell the story behind the story is important um, some of that stuff doesn't make it into the print doesn't make it into the onto the website but it gives you bigger context and mm-hmm. some of our contributors have seen things that are horrendous and, and terrible human rights violations and religious freedom issues and all those things that I think are really important. Um, and like I said, don't get a lot of mention in the media, but it's important that their experiences are told, um, through different avenues. And we have video for that. We have text, but the podcast is a, is a wonderful tool. And for, and for those of you old enough to remember radio and you love radio, podcast is just an extension of that. Only you can listen to it whenever you want, not when it's on. It's whenever you want it. Right. Yeah, when you're jogging, when you're on the treadmill, when you're in the car, whatever, it's a very passive thing. But I think I think it's really important to storytelling, uh, especially modern day storytelling. I think it's super
0: important. Well, this is an exciting time of growth for Religion Unplugged and The Media Project. And so what is your vision for the website over the next six to 12 months? What do you foresee or any goals that you have um, as you move forward into the next year?
1: Yeah, you know, I want to make sure that we're covering not just Christianity or not just Islam, you know, you know, I want to make sure we're covering all the major religions around the world, good stories, bad stories, right? We're not here to do public relations for anybody. We're here to tell the truth, cover stories the way they are. And, you know, Christianity is is a good example. Christianity in South America is very different from Europe, very different from Africa, right? So even one faith tradition can look very different in the different parts of the world. I want to make sure that we're covering the whole world. Uh, you know, my, my big fear always is, is because we're based in the United States that we're maybe too American centric. I, I don't think we are, but I'm very cognizant of that. I don't want to, I don't want it to look like we're an American website telling people around the world what we think, right? I want it to be an international website and it, yes, it may be in English, but it doesn't mean that we're, Uh, centric to an American point of view. And we cover stories about the American election. I I can foresee that becoming a big story in the next 12 months, but we don't just cover the American election. We'll cover if there's a religion angle to the political system in Kenya, we'll cover that. So, you know, so we want to, we want to be more global. Um, I want more stories from Latin America. We've talked about that, you know, offline. uh, And hopefully that's a possibility. It's a huge chunk of the world, mostly Christian, mostly Catholic, increasingly evangelical, um, a lot intertwined with with, with um, not just tradition and culture, but also with politics. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll remind people there's a, a presidential election coming up in Argentina, a lot of faith angles there. We've covered that already a little bit. Mainstream media has not covered it like the way I think it should be covered. So we've covered that and we'll have more of that coverage. Um, Africa is, is an emerging uh, a continent. Uh, the number of believers there among Christians increasing. Um, but there's also like, feuds with Islam and uh, other traditions there. So, so yeah, I want to make sure we're covering the world. And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't tell you what the big stories will be. I wish I could do that. But whatever they're, they're going to be, we're going to be on it because we have a huge network of contributors, people that have gone through the media project, people that pitch us stories. So we, we've established a network we're, we covered most of the globe. Um, we have some some spots we want to want to increase. So if you read the site and you are a writer or you want to pitch something, this could be a good opportunity to to, to put a, a, a sort of a call out there to so say if you have an idea, email us, reach out to us on the website, and and I answer all emails or at least I try.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Clemente and. Thanks for the incredible work you've already done in the position. I think the Israeli coverage from there is great if people have not had a chance to see that. And if you haven't had a chance to really peruse through the Religion Unplugged website, go on and do that. There's incredible stories. We've got the headline story of the day, but also a lot of great analysis pieces and um, everything from yeah, books, entertainment, other things. So it's really an incredible resource um, for journalism and for journalists. Oh, and we'd love to. Hear yeah, from I
1: her. want to add that yeah, I want to add that it's religiononplugck.com. I'd be remiss not to mention that unless people are like scrambling to find it. So religionunplug.com, but we are also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know you, you can get our stories through those feeds as well. Um, and so please follow us. visit the website, bookmark it, comment on our stories, email us. We love interaction with people around the world. Just as a side note to show how global our site is, I was looking at some of the analytics on our Facebook page and the top places in the world that people are reading our content on Facebook, for example, is India, Nigeria, Australia. You know, the United States is not number one, which tells Uh me that we have a global community. And it's funny because people around the world are increasingly on Facebook. Americans might be on Facebook less. People around the world are on Facebook more. And so... Different audiences around the world, you cater to them differently. You know, younger people are on Instagram, right? Um, journalists are on Twitter, right? So, but we hit everybody. But the best thing to do is to go to our site every morning, do a cup of coffee, go to the homepage. There's always fresh stuff on the homepage. And yeah, please, uh, you know, tell us what you think. Because I'm always looking at reader feedback to help grow the site and, and improve it.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Clemente. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Religion Unplugged podcast. All of our reporting is made possible and paid for directly by donors like you. Donations of any size are a great help in our efforts to expand the quality and breadth of our coverage from around the world, often by journalists based in undercovered regions such as Africa, Asia, and South America. From November 1st through December 31st, any contribution you make up to $1,000 will be doubled as part of the Newsmatch campaign from the Institute of Nonprofit News. Consider how you can join us in our effort to increase religious literacy, whether that's a small donation, signing up for our weekly newsletter, following us on X Instagram and Facebook, or sharing our work on your social media channels. We look forward to partnering with you. That's been this episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast. We look forward to joining you next week.